Sirius XM Sports Podcasts presents Mad Dog's Daily Bite with Christopher Russo. And good afternoon, everybody! Let's first start with the rule interpretation at the plate last night as he says hello. Steve, welcome. It's great to have you aboard as usual. How are you today, okay? Uh, good, Chris. Doing great. Good to be with you. I don't understand how you overturn that out call in the bottom of the eighth inning, White Sox in Texas last night. Bochy went nuts, said it's the worst call I've ever seen. There was a path for the base runner to run into the plate, and he got tagged before it touched it. The White Sox challenged, and they ruled blocking of the plate. We all know why that rule is in place with Posey, but I did not understand that at all. Let's start there. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so you know, one of the things is where the catcher initially sets up. And where, where Jonah Heim, the catcher, initially set up was actually inside the plate in fair territory, leaving the entire plate open for Elvis Andrews to get there. Then the throw came from the outfield and it leaked toward foul territory toward the third baseline. And Jonah Heim has every right to be able to move over to try to catch the ball. And at one point, yes, he had his foot, you know, uh, in the right on the third base line, but you could still get to the plate on either side of his feet. And then he actually spread his feet to be able to catch the ball and then drop down to make a tag. I'm with you. I don't understand how they, how they overturned that call. It just it didn't it, it didn't violate the spirit of the rule. It didn't violate the language of the rule. Uh, I didn't think he was trying to block the plate. I think that that Elvis Andrews had pathways to get to the plate, uh, and his hand got to the plate uh, on the tag. He just got tagged out before he got there, and so there was nothing about what Jonah Heim did that actually obstructed his pathway to get to home plate. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't understand, you know, the, and again, the anonymous overturning of a call uh, is something that, that I know that, that, you know, baseball, you know, the commissioner's office has talked about the idea of the communication of it and the guys were actually making the decision, having some accountability for the decision that they make. Uh, and should they be mic'd up and put on the big screen at a stadium to explain the call in their their decision to overturn it uh, would at least give you know a face to this call because the umpires on the field are like what do you want me to do I didn't make the call I called them out and now this is saying that he's safe so what do you want me to do I don't have any say over it anymore I surrender control there should be some accountability for it uh, and and you know again it's subject to interpretation. Uh, but I don't know any interpretation of what I saw that would have justified overturning that call at home plate. Well, it's the spirit of it, too. I understand we all don't want to get these runners or these catchers destroyed, which they had for 80 years. So we do understand that philosophy. you got to give them a path. But Andrews had a path to the plate. So, all right, theoretically, uh, if you by the letter of the law, I guess you possibly could argue that the plate was blocked inappropriately. But the bottom line is, in the spirit of the play, Andrus was not delayed. He had a path, and he was tagged out. Sometimes you got to use a little common sense. And they didn't seem to use common sense back at Chelsea or at the major league offices, the umpires who made the reversal. That's what surprises yeah. me. Yeah, you know, Chris, the other thing about it is that we know that he left the play, uh, a pathway to home plate because the umpire on site 
called him safe. So he's, his hand got to home plate. The umpire called him safe. So clearly there was good a point. pathway to get there. Otherwise, yeah. he would have been out if he didn't have a yeah, pathway. He would have been tagged yeah. out on the play. The reality that right. he was called safe justifies the notion that Bruce Bochy had that Jonah Heim, the catcher, left him a pathway to get there because he got there in the in the eyes of the umpire uh, yeah. at home plate in the game on the field yesterday. And so the actual call on the field in many ways verified that, that he didn't block the plate illegally and that he did leave a pathway because he actually got to the plate with it and and, and had been ruled uh, safe. So I don't know. I, I are out on it. And so I don't know. I just think that that ultimately it was a mistake. Uh, you know, I understand the rule. And, and here's the other part of the rule is there's nothing that says that you can't run over the catcher. You just can't change directions to right. run over the catcher. Correct. So so Elvis Andrews could have lowered a shoulder and run Jonah right. Heim over at home plate, and that would not have been a violation. Uh, and so and he chose not to do that because he thought he had a pathway to get there. Otherwise, if he didn't have a pathway, he probably would have lowered his shoulder and tried to run him over. So that further justifies that Jonah Heim left him a pathway to get there. And that's Bochy who made the call, who was screaming and yelling, an ex-catcher who lost his catcher on this similar scenario right. while the rule's in place to begin with. Let's not, let's not, also, uh, let's not also forget that. Uh, have you been let's do the umpiring for a second you know I've seen some things I don't like um, the home plate umpiring with the balls and strikes has it been bad good indifferent give me a little rundown first 40% of the season or 50% of the season essentially now on the umpiring what do you see Go ahead. Yeah. So, so you know, more recently, I've seen some strike zones that seem, you know, rather, you know, like an amoeba that it changes shape during the course of of the game, uh, and it's hard. I listen again. It's it, and I'm all for the automated strike zone and the automated uh, ball strike. Yeah, you system. and I disagree I, on that. Yeah. We, we want. I want I just, a human I element. I don't it. understand yeah. the idea. Let's have the human element of mistakes. And we can't, if you want that, you can't complain about mistakes. You can't complain about bad balls and strikes if you're willing to live with it. Uh, and because there's a system that at some point is going to allow us not to have mistakes there uh, in that moment. And so uh, it's hard for people to defend uh, not wanting the automated strike zone and then complain about balls and strikes. I don't know that you get it both ways. Uh, and so, because there's a system that can correct it. That being said, I think it's been, you know, I think one umpire the other day had like an 82% ball strike rate. He was, he was 100% on the balls, but 82% of the strikes were correct. And the other 18% was wrong. And that's too many that are wrong. Uh, that should have been called balls. And what and, is, uh, and were what strikes. is reasonable to expect in a game that's going to basically have, what about a three hundred and about a three hundred pitches thrown? Maybe not quite that many. Yeah, ninety plus percent is not unreasonable. So, uh, three hundred pitches, ninety percent of three hundred is about thirty-five wrong total, seventeen each side. Yeah, probably around there, right? And that's too much for me. I mean, I, I mean it changes the game. That one one. Here's the thing: every hitter and every pitcher will tell you the one one pitch that gets called wrong. That either yeah, makes that, it 2-1 in effect. favor of the yeah, hitter or 1-2 in favor of the pitcher is such a swing pitch. And if that happens once or twice in a game, uh, and, and it's to the same team who's coming back trying to rally, coming back from a deficit, it, it chops you off at the knees. And so, you know, I, I just think that, that it takes so much to, to put a team together to go out there and try to compete, try to win, that the idea that we're just going to live with human error when we don't have to uh, when, when, you know, you put so much into winning a season, when we could get it right, 
just doesn't make sense to me to accept failure when we don't have to accept it. And so, you know, again, I think people all have their own opinions about it. And, I, and here's the thing. If it's not the full-blown automated system, then the challenge system seems to make sense, which is what they've implemented at the minor league level, the Arizona Fall League, where, you know, there's not a system until you actually challenge a pitch that is a hitter you thought was a ball. The umpire called it a strike. You can challenge it. And then they actually play the on the scoreboard where the pitch went, and it's either changed or it's upheld with it. I think that, to me, is at least a nice How many do they get a game? They get one a game? Or each team gets a – how many do they get a game, each team? I think they let I, – I don't know the exact number that they use for it, but if you get it right, you don't lose it, right? You can do it again. Uh, and, and, you know, then the question is, from a team perspective – who makes the challenge? Does the hitter get to make his own challenge, you know, where he has his own say in it? Or does it only come from the dugout? Because, I mean, as the hitter, you know whether it was a ball or strike. I mean, the reality is, when you see hitters react, it's all, they're almost always right. When they show the K zone and where the ball went, hitters know their strike zone. They When a hitters complain, the umpire usually made a mistake because almost 95% of the time, the hitters know their strike zone or they're not complaining because they just struck out and they're upset about it. They're going to blame somebody else, but they actually believe the call was wrong and, and the system tends to show that they're right. So I think that generally speaking, you're going to let the the player hitter. make the call, yep. the hitter make the call rather than have it come from the dugout. All right, we get that out of the way. Right, let's do some teams. Reds win again today, 11 in a row. You get the credit for this because you were really on top of the Reds about a month ago here on this show. You love their farm system. Thought they were on the right path. You didn't think this, where they'd be in first place by a couple games, but Cincinnati now, now they need some pitching. I think the key thing for Cincinnati, well, that owner who's 80 years old, who's an old crusty son of a gun, is he going to put some money in the ball club in a month to get themselves a couple of pitchers because they need it in the worst way. That will be very interesting to see if he puts money into the team from that standpoint because they've earned it with their play. Let's discuss that. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, they have. Remember, he's, you know, he's been very public about uh, that, you know, what, what he's willing to do, what he's not willing to do. That being said, I mean, they've got a, you know, you don't know from one year to the next what's going to happen. And so when you have a chance to get to the playoffs, I mean, they're leading the division. This isn't like a pipe dream where they're four games down for the third wild card spot. They're leading their division. Uh, I think you have to go for it there. Now, you know, they've got Hunter Green on the injured list with his hip, and that worries me a little bit. You know, it's like the second or third time that hip has backed him off, missing some starts. You know, and there's a reason why when you have a, you know, a team, that a major league team, and, and as you travel and you go through the metal detectors, every pitching coach sets off the metal detector because he's got an artificial hip or an artificial knee. Like knees and hips take a beating. And so Hunter Green worries me a little bit about that hip. So I think they're going to probably have to add a starting pitcher to get some predictability. But they've got a great farm system. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz, a rock star. And many of their young studs are already at the big league level. And what I love, Chris, was, you know, forever, you know, Joey Votto, it's been his team. And it's been his clubhouse. And when somebody got called up, they got called up into Joey Votto's clubhouse. And when he's been rehabbing the shoulder injury and they had all these young kids starting to play and they've got a certain energy, Joey Votto recognizes he's entering their clubhouse right now. Yeah, good point. Like they're, yeah. Right? They're, pay, they're playing Taylor Swift songs. And like he's getting it, like he's in. Like he's, you know, he's going into this clubhouse with these young kids and, and he's grateful to be part of it. And so I think it's a really nice dynamic there that, 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 because I worried, would he stop some energy, veteran guy? 
guy coming in. What's his playing time going to be? Because Spencer Steers played some great first base. He needs to be in the lineup. And then Votto coming in in his first game where he didn't play all that well in his rehab assignment, hits a home run, hits a, a two-run single to take the lead in the game. Uh, and to understand David Bell saying he's not going to play every day, but he's certainly going to make his way into our lineup, Joey Votto. And so I just think they've got a lot going in the right direction. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. They believe in themselves. And they are playing with an energy and passion and, and fast, right? They're playing fast uh, because of the speed factor that they have on their team. I mean, listen, the, the pitcher, what Peter Lambert had three errors, throwing errors as a pitcher in the game, two attempts to pick off runners at second, again, because they're in your head. The other one was Ellie De La Cruz, ground ball back to Lambert, bounced off him. And because of the speed of De La Cruz, he ran over, picked it up, closed his eyes and sailed it down the right field line. In one inning, a pitcher made three errors and it was strictly because of the speed with which the Reds play. They're a really intriguing team. And why not the Reds winning this division? It doesn't I seem think like they anybody can. else wants now, The it. question yeah. is, will the owner, that Bob Castellinos, whatever his name is, is he going to go out there? He's 81 years old. His kids said some bad things a year ago. We all know that. You know, they can go. What are they going to root for? They don't root for us, the fan base. Uh, they had 28,000 uh, two days ago. They had 20,000 for Votto's first game. They won the day. They were down 3 nothing. Let me tell you the attendance if you want me to look at that. What will he do spending money to make the team better? Let me hear a prediction. Yeah, I think he'll spend some money. I do. I think they'll get in on one of the starting pitchers. I, I do. I think they'll fortify their bullpen a little bit. Now, you know, uh, you know and here's the other thing. When you start thinking about the, the players who are available – you know, you're not talking about Max Scherzer making $40 million who's going to be available at the trade deadline. You're talking about Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, Marcus Stroman. None of those have prohibitive contracts. Uh, and and a, pro, you know, a prorated portion of that is not going to cripple the Reds considering how low a payroll they have anyways. And so, you know, I mean, Votto's the one guy they're paying, but nobody else is making any money there. So uh, so I do. I think that because I think that, that uh, they'll make the case to the owner that we've got to go for it right now because last year the third wildcard team made it to the World Series. Why can't we? And what we've seen this year, Chris, the number of streaks, like the streakiness of baseball this year is unbelievable. I mean, so we've got 10, 11 games now for, for the Reds. We've got nine games for the Giants. We've got seven games for the Atlanta Braves. We've got six-game streak for the Boston Red Sox right now. Uh, and, you know, on the other side, we've got the Pirates losing eight in a row. They're now in fourth place. The streakiness and going, and, and I think it's a byproduct of the balanced schedule where you, depending upon who you're playing, you can get on a little run. And if you get on a little run against a good team, then you start to play some of those teams in the Central. You beat up on them. You gain some momentum. But the game has been so streaky this year. 100%. All right, so you think the Reds will make a move. Where are you right now with the Padres? Well, I, I, they sure don't two look terrible like they losses, win. Two terrible yeah. losses in the last two days. Back to four or five, under 500. They are showing no signs of life. They're basically halfway through the season. They didn't do anything two years ago with pressure. Last year, they only won 88 games. They had a good last few weeks, but they didn't do a whole hell of a lot. And this year, they're a major disaster. What makes me think they're going to bounce back here in the second half? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm dubious right now. Here's why. I don't know any player leader on their team. Now, last year, Machado seemed like a leader, but it's much easier to be a leader when you're playing well and the team's going well and you can start to, you know, everything's there. 
I mean, Juan Soto's not a leader. He's just a player. He's a good player, really good player. He's a great player. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. can't lead. He was just suspended for a year. Cronenworth's not leading. He's too young and too inexperienced, and he's not performing all that well. Hassan Kim just goes out and plays and doesn't really lead anybody. He loves the game. They don't have anybody there that, and, you know, Bob Melvin said it, and it was a damning quote. He said, but we don't have any grit. We don't have enough grit on this team, and they don't. Like, I look at the Mets, and at least you have some level of grit with the Mets. You've got some guys that have some some tenacity to them that I think gives them a little better chance than I think the Padres do. And that's what the Phillies did last year. The Phillies have grit. They've got some guys who dig down deep. They've got some guys who, who when things didn't go well, they didn't pack it in. And I'm not saying the Padres are, but they just look lethargic. They don't have that same level of intensity. They don't have anger about how they're playing. You know, when Joe Girardi got fired, there was anger at themselves for the players that they've underachieved to that point. Harper plays with anger. Schwarber can play with anger. Castellanos has this underlying burning distrust and anger that's there that I think feeds the Phillies. The Padres don't have that. Excellent point. I agree with you 100%. You mentioned the Mets. They blew a lead today. They're down 9-6 in the fifth inning. Let's say they lose... That would make them 34-40. and 40. Every time they win a game or so, you think maybe they're going to get a little something going, a la the Yankees and Cardinals, and they go the other way. They go to Philly this weekend. They could be five back in a loss column. They'd be uh, essentially seven back of Miami and 14 back of the Braves. That's a very difficult quandary that they find themselves in. How do they get out of it if they can? Yeah, so there, I think the division – Seems out of reach. But but right now, they can't even worry about winning a game. They have to go out and win this pitch in this inning <clears throat> and in this game. Uh, you know, the idea of like, we've got to make up all this ground, that that's that's that paralyzes you as a player because once one mistake happens, you think, well, it's not going to happen today. Now we've got an extra game we have to add on. You've got to go out there and compete with one pitch at a time in the game uh, and, and, and start to get it done. They need Alonzo to get hot. Lindor with the big home run the other night, you thought, okay, maybe he's going to start to heat up a little bit again. Uh, and they need some margin for error for their pitching and, and and they don't have it right now but you know Verlander pitched okay I mean with seven innings gave up four runs but it wasn't enough because the offense isn't hitting on all cylinders now Frambert Valdez there's no shame in losing to him he's a great pitcher uh, but the Mets are going to have to dig deep uh, and try to find that grit to try to rattle some wins off and they're going to need consistency of starting pitching to do it and they just haven't gotten it, right? I mean, Scherzer was great last time, but the two or three starts before that, he was awful. Verlander was really good to start before this one against the Yankees. He wasn't very good in this last one against the Astros. So, you know, they just seem to be going back and forth. Their What's Cohen going to do? Up. What is Cohen going to do at 34 and 40 saying they lose today? Yeah, he's they're going to go for it. They're not going to do payroll. anything. you got to go for it. The third wild well, he's card not gonna is going to add. Is he not going to add players when he's under 500, well, is he? okay. So, yeah. So, here's the thing is that – there's not a single player that the Mets can add that is the solution or answer to their team. You know, and I've been in this spot. In 2001, I was in this spot. We went to the World Series in 2000. We were lethargic in 2001. And, I, and, and what I kept saying is, unless our good players play well, it's not going to matter what I do at the trade deadline. We need these guys to play. You know, we need our good players to elevate the level of play that they've played at before, where they played at the level of intensity previously. And it so happened, unfortunately, that September 11th happened that year. And that all of a sudden energized our team because we were starting to play for the city. We had a different energy level uh, for it, and we made a run late. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have. We just we were lethargic all year because we just didn't have that same drive and passion. And so I think that that 
that somehow the Mets have to find a way. I don't know whether it's they have to get into a brawl. I don't know whether they need some internal battle. Uh, I don't know what they need, but somehow they need to get out of their own heads where they're, you know, Lindor, you can see him, you know, that self-thought an obsessive nature that's going through his head when he walks up to the plate. He's not smiling and, and going to compete against the pitcher. He's competing against himself. And that's what happens when you struggle. So somehow they've got to get that fire lit where they're celebrating each other. Uh, and, and right now, they certainly haven't been able to engage in that. No, and I don't know what he's going to do with that deadline in a month. Uh, what would you do if you're Jerry DePoto with Seattle? Well, I, you know what I do is, and again, they don't, I would buy and sell. So they're, they don't four, hit. What are they? they? That team can't hit. Right. That's four games out of the wild card. And here's the thing. They should hit, but Julio Rodriguez isn't hitting like he did a year ago. Colton Wong has been just such an easy out in their lineup. I mean, who would have thought that Frazier last year was such a big answer? But Colton Wong's given them nothing this year. Teoscar Hernandez has been streaky, and he's always been streaky. I'm watching him there. Ty France, you know, doesn't hit home runs on the road. Uh, and, you know, Cal Raleigh, the catcher, hasn't been as good offensively. Suarez hasn't done as much. And they're all better than what they're doing. Uh, and, you know, and so they, they're doing their own internal evaluation, whether they're going to change coaches or anything else. And I don't know that they're going to. But, but if you're not going to change your manager and you're not going to change your players, you've got to find something to do when your good players are underperforming. What are you going to do to spark them, to get them going, to get, have somebody with a different voice say the same thing to get them going? And, and, and maybe the answer is they just have to keep grinding through it. Uh, but you know, they're also, here's the big thing for them. Remember how good they've been at one-run games? I mean, yeah, they're they terrible. Were, Last year, two, they were 34-22, and 22, and this year, they're 4-14. and 14. Yeah, I understand. Right, and the year yeah. before that, they won 33 one-run games. And so this year, they're not. And, and therein lies some big part of the difference as to where they are in the standings right now. Yeah, all right. So we don't know about them. He's not in any trouble, I wouldn't think. More no, no, sort no. Of, uh, Mormol snapped out of it a little bit. They've won four in a row. We wondered if he'd be still sitting in that Cardinal dugout on Friday night in City Field. He was, and they played a little better. So what what should I do about the Cardinals here in the NL East? What's your yeah, take there? I, uh, the NL Central. I, I look at them. Uh, and NL think, Central, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I look at them and think, um, all right, so they beat the Nationals the last two games, and they beat the Mets two out of three. Uh, I'm, I'm, you mean, you know, some part of it, it's not who you play, it's when you play them, but sometimes it's who you play. And so the fact they're beating the Nationals, all right, I, I don't know what to make out of that. Now, the Cubs are playing well. And here's the thing, the Cardinals, the bad thing for them is they're finally starting to play well. Uh, they're playing the Nats today, and then they've got two days off. They're off Thursday and Friday. Then they have a game against the Cubs on Saturday and Sunday, and then an off day on Monday. So they have three of the next five. Well, they got to travel off. to London. They got to travel to London. Right, That's the right. But they've got the time off, right? And so I think that 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 momentum that they've built may, be, you know, that could be in Jet Lag City flying to London and back, and the impact that it could have on them, I think, could be substantial. So just when you think they're going to th- get some momentum, it could be the thing that slows them down. All right, what will the Cubs do near the deadline? Big market team. It's about time. They're right in the mix, but they're still under 500 and have a couple of guys they can trade. Bellinger, Stroman. What will the Cubs do? I think they're going to wait. I, th- I, think this gonna, I think it's going to be a very late developing trade deadline because of, of the parity that exists in, in, the, in all of baseball, really. You know, Chris, last year uh, at this time, there were seven teams that had a run differential of plus 55 or higher. This year, it's three. 
So you've got three teams that are sort of dominating, and then everybody else is bunched together and and underperforming or 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 overperforming at kind of the same level. And so I think that every it it could come down to who gets hot after the All Star break that makes a run that makes them feel like they're moving in the right direction, even if they're not quite qualified for the playoffs. That it feels like all right. Well, listen, we've won you know, eight out of 10 games, we're playing better. Let's go ahead and add. I think a lot of these teams have to wait and really sit and try to figure who who they are on July 26th, July 27th to make a decision. And so I think it's going to be a very late developing trade deadline. The Cubs, I mean, I look at that division and think, all right, why not the Cubs? I mean, their starting pitching's been good. Stroman's been great. Smiley's been good. They're getting back Justin Steele. Uh, Hendrick, Kyle Hendricks is back into the mix. they got to fortify their bullpen. But Bellinger back in the lineup. They're starting to score some more runs. Uh, and so, you know, I look at it. Now the Cubs have won 8 out of 10. All right. Well, I mean, the Reds have been great. But they're not going to keep it going forever. And when a, when a young team loses after a long winning streak, I always want to know, is that the start of a losing streak or just Right, or they bounce back right? quickly. They right. don't, you don't want to so, throw the games away. I understand. Right, and yes. the adjustments that'll be made, because somebody's going to make adjustments at some point. They're going to cool off a little bit. It's going to happen. And and so I don't know that they're going to stay on. By the time we get to the All-Star break, I'm not convinced the Reds are still going to be in first place. Uh, they could be, but, but heck, by then, who knows what could happen. The Cubs could end up being in first place by then. Uh, and so I think we really have to wait to predict what anybody's going to do right now. And so for everyone, they have to contemplate buying and selling until they ultimately make that decision. Uh, Have the Angels good play? Has that helped at all in the subconscious mind of making sure they can try to make a good offer and keep Otani? Yeah, so Perry Manazian said that— I I don't uh, care what he says. It's about the owner anyway. I mean, he's about the owner. But he said it's unlikely they're not going to trade, trade him if they're we're not going to trade him. They're not uh, trade and and Chris, I don't think they're going to make an offer. And if they do, they know it's going to be an offer that they're not going to get him because there's going to be one more Dodger dollar and there's going to be one more Met dollar than there is Angel dollar. It doesn't matter what they offer. The Dodgers will offer more, and they offer them a better chance of being a playoff team and a World Series champion. The Mets are going to offer them more. They may or may not give them a better chance to get to a World Series or not, but they're going to give them a big market. The Mets are going to offer a ton of money. The Padres are going to offer them a ton of money, and if you want San Diego and geography matters, they could be in on it too. But ultimately, there's no way the Angels are going to offer him the most amount of money, and I don't know that there's any compelling reason for him to stay there because they just can't seem to win. So, in other words, Dan Marino's not even going to get involved? He's not going to give him a just to I, make it look good I, kind of offer I mean, here's come the thing. November? I mean, they may make an offer that they know he's going to reject so that they can say he made an offer. Uh, but I, I, they know that they're not going to compete with the teams who really want Otani. And here's the thing, Chris. I wouldn't sign him. I wouldn't sign him. You mean, I, you know, what is he, a 50? Hey, you got to pay him $500 million, and then you got to build your team. You're never going to necessarily win. It's impossible. Yeah, you're gonna, you're, it might be a $600 million contract, right? He's a $30 million hitter, $30 million pitcher. But here's the thing, a 10-year contract? What pitchers are getting 10-year contracts? And so I'm going to give a pitcher a 10-year deal, and, 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 here's, and when he doesn't, when he can't really pitch much anymore, I'm paying him $60 million to be a hitter. Good hitter. Well, maybe you give him a contract where you pay him $60 million, $30 million a piece to do both, but then he loses it if he no longer pitches and just hits, you only have yeah, to pay him 30 oh, minutes. How about the that? union doesn't allow those. union won't allow a contract like that. Not allowable. Uh, and so, and here's the thing. If, if I want that, there will be somebody else that will not attach a contingency to it. 
and that deal will be available to him. So in other and words, so, then the only team that should sign him is if it is, is like the Mets who have an unlimited payroll. So if they do sign him, it doesn't blow their budget out and they can build around him. That's what it comes yes. down to. Yeah, yes. Or the Dodgers. It comes down to, remember, because he had Tommy John surgery, you're not going to get insurance on his elbow. Uh, and so that's another factor to consider is that, you know, the protections you have on the backside of this thing, signing him at 29 to have so you're your not going to get any years. protections on his elbow. OK, right. Gotcha. So I'm, I'm not in on it. It's it would be a deal that would have too high of a risk for me to play. All right. Last thing. What manager? I was thinking about Boldelli. Any manager right now in any kind of trouble? Boy, I tell you, they love Rocco Baldelli there in Minnesota, and he is such a good guy, and he's got a great relationship. I, I don't know that they're going to do anything with him uh, there. So I don't know that he's in any jeopardy at all. And, you know, I start looking around the rest of the league. Uh, I mean, Well, that I, goes know. back to Marmol. There's nobody else. That goes back right. to Dave Martinez. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think Marmol. No, nah, I don't. Yeah, no, Dave Martinez, no. Bud Black, no. I mean, I mean, they are who they are. They, we knew coming in they weren't going to be great. I mean, could uh, the Padres you know, jettison Bob Melvin? I, I mean, Here's, here's the thing. If that happens, then it's an indication that A.J. Preller is very desperate for his own job. That's what I would think. I mean, because Bob Melvin is a veteran manager who, who has had teams that need buttons pushed, and he's pushing all the buttons. He's challenged his guys. He's pushed his guys. He's benched his guys. He's moved his guys. They're just, they're, I mean, so I don't know. That, and here's the thing. We all know they don't have a managerial problem. They've got a bit of a roster problem and a motivation problem. And I don't, it's not one that the manager can inject leadership where it's not there. And we have a veteran team. It's hard for the manager and coaches to be the accountability place because the veteran players reject that. They sort of roll their eyes at it. They, you know, that accountability should come from player to player. So I just don't see that happening there. So Marmol would be the one guy, you know, Buck Walter's not going anywhere, uh, you know, and I don't think Melvin's going anywhere. Uh, and I don't think Bud Black's going anywhere, you know. And so, you know, you start, you know, listen, there's Mark Conte. There's no reason to make a change there. Scott Service isn't going anywhere. They made the playoffs last year. And so, yeah, I don't think, I think the only guy would be Marmel if there's any question at all. Want more Chris Russo? Listen to Mad Dog Unleashed weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82. Mad Dog's Daily Bite is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.